Please be seated. I became aware this morning after the 8 o'clock service that in that unfortunately brief space of time between when I went to bed last night after finishing my sermon and the time that I got to church this morning, um, we've had yet another national tragedy in Orlando. And so while this sermon doesn't address that tragedy, know that it's on my heart as I know that it is on yours, and know that this community is holding the people of Orlando, the victims and their families, deep in our prayers. But the news that has passed before my eyes in recent weeks, that very small bit of news that is unrelated to the presidential campaign, has been populated, it seems, with articles and op-eds about the Brock Turner case. In light of the mixed age of our company, I'll summarize the case in gentle terms. Turner, a talented freshman swimmer at Stanford, was discovered one night by two fellow students assaulting an unconscious young woman behind a dumpster after a fraternity party. The crime itself is enough, should be enough, to provoke indignant outrage from everyone who is or has a mother, sister, wife, daughter, or female friend. But Turner's sentence for his crime is widely seen as absurdly light, considering the gravity of his actions and of his past transgressions. And so, social media is ablaze against this young man and the family that protects him and against the judge and the culture that allowed for the creation of this situation. We, the people, those who are or have mothers and daughters or wives or female friends, we are calling out for a stiffer sentence. We are citing elitism white privilege, misogyny as the root causes for this miscarriage of injustice. The media has published letters from Turner's father, from his mother, letters from the victim and her sister, statements from the students who caught him in the act, and statements from the judge who sentenced him. And on top of all of that, there are the blog posts and the testimonies and the comments. Righteous judgment and holy rage abound out there. And in truth, if I'm being honest with you, I myself am filled with both. I was a crisis counselor in college, and I have heard the painful first-hand stories, sometimes only hours old, detailing how one human body can overpower and degrade and devastate the psyche of another human. And so I feel my own anger and fear and heartbreak for this survivor, survivor boil over into a molten fury that I want to direct at this young man. And then I read this morning's gospel. 
And initially, after reading it, I want to give you a sermon about the power of women in the Gospel of Luke. I want to tell you about how the presence of this one broken woman and her tears made a powerful statement that unseated the Pharisee in his own house. I want to spend my time with you reminding you that Jesus' ministry did not just allow women to sit around the edge. It empowered them to contribute, to learn, to be saved right alongside the men. I want to tell you that women in our Gospels are not a subset of the broken people, not a subset of the people that need saving alongside the lepers and the possessed and the tax collectors, but women then and women now hold up half the sky. And someday, I will tell you more about that. But not today. Because today, this gospel caught me up short. In my working through this gospel reading this morning, to tell you more about the discipleship of women, these words kept getting in my way. Your sins are forgiven. These are hard words. For those of us who cling hard to our judgment, for those of us who feel that forgiveness must be earned, for those of us who believe that crucifixion in the court of public opinion is a deserved byproduct of a life badly lived, these are hard words. It's hard to get behind these words when they are directed towards someone whose crimes we find abhorrent. Someone who appears to feel no remorse. It's much easier to hear these words echoing down through 2,000 years offered to someone who appears blameless, poor, theoretical. It is much, much harder to get behind them when we think they might be directed toward one like Brock Turner. Guilty, privileged, sitting in the hot seat right in front of us. Your sins are forgiven. It's hard to say these words in a case like this one. But as always, there is good news in this gospel. And here it is. We, the people, we do not have to say these words. Jesus will take care of that. God will offer forgiveness of sins whether we agree with it or not. We believe in a God who forgives all of us. Those who are petty and selfish and prideful. And those of us who steal and assault and murder. Forgiveness is a process for us human beings. A long process best taken up by victims and survivors with the help of the people they love. Forgiveness on human terms can be asked for, it can be offered, it can be earned, it can be meted out. Forgiveness is modeled on that which our Savior freely offers. 
But, like everything else we do so imperfectly, it is only a shadow of that thing. So we who read and write and live the public opinion are not at all required to speak those divine words. You are forgiven. And we are also not called to judge because we have other requirements. We have other work to do. We are required to protect our children, our sons and our daughters, to protect our children and other people's children by teaching them right from wrong, regardless of who they are. It is not always clear, but if we outfit them with a solid moral compass and we ground them in God, We will no longer have public discussions about how one should behave around unconscious people. We are required to find heroes, those who follow their hearts and their God to work for that which is good and holy. Heroes are not perfect. They are humans trying to do and to be good. And when we find those heroes, we must lift them up and let them speak and act. We are required to look closely at our society and to figure out what has created a culture in which lives, in which lives, the very lives of the people who hold up half the sky are so devalued that these situations happen again And again, and when we figure out what that is, we need to stop it. We are required to love back into being those who are broken and victimized and torn down and brutalized. It is not ours to ask them, how did this happen to you? But rather, how can I help? We need to hold hands, and we need to hold prayers, and we need to hold our tongues and hold our tempers and just be present with those who need our gentleness more than our vindictiveness or our blame. That's a lot of requirements. And yet, not one of them is outside the reach of anyone in here. Judgment and revenge and humiliation in the public square feel real good to those of us in the pack. But practicing them lands us squarely in the company of Simon the Pharisee, who not only judged, but withheld hospitality from Jesus Christ among him, who held back his heart from the Lord. Did you hear our collect this morning? In our collect, we ask God to inspire us to proclaim God's truth with boldness and to minister God's justice with compassion. These are our requirements. God's truth. God's justice. 
God's compassion on our lips and in our hearts. And it is in this way, it is through our own acts of courage and humility and great, great love that we will draw closer to God. When we believe that God created us for good, and when we act on that, then we will know that our faith has saved us, that we too are forgiven, and we are free. Amen.